get over Ming's kingdom, we should land near the entrance of the abandoned drain tunnel. Our ship can be well concealed there. I remember the place. Welcome everyone to Loco Ludus, a podcast about homebrew tabletop gaming. And this episode is DIY on the fly. It's a whopper. Two hour conversation with Goblin's henchmen about using hex flowers as the underpinning engine of the Hammer Horror rule system. Now, that's all speculative. We are literally coming up with it on the spot. Um, I think, well, basically, it's two hours. That's the longest episode I've ever put out. I know there are some podcasts that do that, and that's, you know, it's a big serving, isn't it? Um, I know the tendency with the the game folk on Anchor is 20 minutes, half an hour, so I'm just, you know, completely uh, overshooting that this time. Um, all I can say is maybe it's worth dipping in and dipping out of. Um, It is interesting, I think. It's interesting if you are interested in homebrew gaming, working through rules. It's interesting if you've been keeping up with the, the Hammer RPG ideas that are knocking around possibly even if you like hammer horror movies maybe it's got some value there but also i hope it's of value to anyone who is uh intrigued by the hexflower game engines that goblin's henchman has been putting out there um, the best thing to do would be to take a look at some of his his material so you can get that on drive through pay as much as you want and he's also got a blog with example so if you're not if you're listening and you're not quite sure what a hex flower is the best thing to do would be to find one of his examples and then you've got some kind of idea but they can be used in so many ways as hopefully will uh, you'll, you'll pick up in the discussion that really all you need is that that sense of the shape and then hopefully everything else will become clear for those for those of you who are already dabbling in the hex flowers I hope it brings something of additional interest. I am just walking to my local game club, which I haven't been to for months, and I'm hoping that this is the start of a regular Monday visit 
to get some board gaming in and this evening I'm going to see if there are enough of the the RPG folk there to see if we can get a regular group going so without further ado here is my conversation with Goblin's henchman see you Oh, a couple more things. I just said that we made everything up on the spot. That's not entirely true. Goblin's henchman very kindly came up with a draft uh, Hammer Horror Hexflower game engine and had left me several messages. So we had some things to base our discussion on, but it's uh, completely unchoreographed. And as you'll hear, the discussion... uh, tries to tries to open up different uh possibilities different uses uh different scenarios or examples for the for the hex flower engine also i hope there's not too much uh rustling or clanking or that the the audio doesn't dip out too badly at any point too many points it's i think it's fine it's totally fine uh yeah here it is. So, Goblin's Henchman, thank you ever so much for coming on to Loco Ludus to talk about the ever-evolving Hammer horror rules and the hex flowers, although I'm sure there are plenty of other really nice things that you can say too. So, the term that you use for hex flowers is random tables with a memory, which is really nice and really clear. Is there anything else or any other ways that you would describe hex flowers? Is there anything else that they do? Well, it's a it's a good good point. I think I think that probably the mo- that is the most significant thing that does distinguish them from other random tables because um, on a normal round of table you r- roll a result and the next r- result you roll um, is completely independent of the result you have already established. Yes. So I think the classic way of looking at it is for example in a weather table mm-hmm. or a terrain table so if you were just dra- generating terrain randomly by rolling even a percentile dice you you could get mountains plains mountains and plains again it, it might be it might feel a bit funky or if you're doing weather you might get bright sunshine followed by a blizzard uh, just because no the no the results are causally linked to the other ones mm. so by putting them in a hex flower um, and having the result you so i guess we step back a little bit for those maybe who aren't completely familiar with hex flowers and to be fair i'm not sure i've ever come up with a a very good definition myself i think they do a lot of things hex flowers so sometimes seeing the interrelated parts can be tricky to understand but um essentially what you have is a a, an array of hexagons but it doesn't, doesn't have to be an array of hexagons it could be um you could have a grid just a square grid but let's just just focus on the way I've been doing them. So you have a, an array of hexagons, and there's there's two th- there's a couple of things operating. So each position, each each hex normally result um, equals a result, mm-hmm. and the way you arrange those results on the hexagon make them relate to each other in space. Because we can normally only normally only move from one hexagon to an, an adjacent hexagon. Mm-hmm. So in a train hex flower, you would um, normally have uh, hills between a plains 
and a mountain hex so that you, you don't go from plains to mountains without going through hills. So that's the first aspect. You, you lay it out in the grid um, and you, you, the, the second bit about it which makes it interesting is that you've got six exits, six exits from the hex that you're in. Mm -hmm. And if you just use a normal D6, then each, each result um, you get from the, he the hex you're in. So you roll the D6 and you move in a direction. So for example, six might be directly up. Each one of those results will be equal. But what you can do is, and I think this is bits where it starts becoming interesting, mm -hmm. is that you can uh, have something that I've been calling a navigation hex, which sets the rules by which you navigate the hexagon, the hex flower, sorry, mm -hmm. so that you can have a probability direction. So um, in the way I classically do it, uh, moving directly up requires a 12, so two, two sixes, whereas moving directly down is a six or a seven, which is a much more likely result. So that way you now have a biasing direction when you roll your, whenever you roll to decide what direction you move off in, which means now if you go back to your hex flower, mm -hmm. um, you can distribute the results uh, stratify them by probability. So not only are they arranged by similarity, you can also have them arranged by most probable event at the bottom and least probable events at the top. So now you've got a neat little, a neat, these two things kind of tally together. And then the third element is um, you, what do you do when you go off the side of a hex, off the hex flower? Because um, if you just bounce back into the hex flower, then you could end up having some very, you know, boring stream of hills. Um, so what you can also do is have rules for what you do when you, you hit the edge of the hex. And normally what I do is say you carry over to the uh, top, you, you move to the column on the opposite side of the hex flower or the row on the opposite side of the hex flower, unless the result is a bit crazy. So you've got, so those are the three main operators there. So you can see how there's three ways to make your hex flower interesting, but then there are other things you can do too, which is you can, for example, introduce rules <laughs> mm -hmm. so that um, uh, if you, so, for example, you could have uh, another counter moving on the hex flower, which is trying to catch you, which is like a sort of like a chase mechanic. Yes. Or I think we'll come on yep. to in a little bit, won't we? Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll. Um, and then, so you can have a chase mechanic. You can also have. Uh, directions so if you do something favorable maybe you have the you use a, a navigation hex that takes you towards the top of the hex flower and maybe if you're doing something disfavorable it takes you towards the bottom of the hex flower mm -hmm. so you can play around with the navigation hex and then sometimes you can have two hex flowers operating in tandem where there's kind of a race so mm -hmm. uh, I guess to cut up a long story short I did a little write-up for a, a, a little little booklet that encompasses some of the theory of uh, hex flower, um, the, the ideas that I've sort of come, come to so far. It's probably a bit of a longer introduction than you were hoping, but I've never found a succinct, uh, the succinctest way of saying it is it's like a random table with a memory and you can write nice little rules into it to do all sorts of things. And they're very compact, so you've got 19 hexes and some rules. So, you know, I've made a hex flower random wilderness encounter on one page and a, and a hex flower which is a random seagoing adventure and you can get all of that on one page and, and get quite a dynamic yet sensible kind of uh, little game out of it so uh, I mean that's perhaps more than you wanted to <laughs> hear of one go but uh, so that's sort of the
the core so of it. For your, for your normal hex flowers, you use two D6s. Um, when, when you were, were, you know, starting thinking about the hex flowers, did you always have two D6s or did you have one D6 or was it always there? Yeah, well, well it's a good question. So I think, you know, it's, it's one of these things where, where did the idea come from? So I know that I saw this idea on G plus first before G plus closed. And I think the first thing that occurred to me is I saw someone doing this and there was two, there's two of them. So there's one where they were, I think, wandering around a, it was almost like a, around a city. And when they hit the edges, I just thought, well, that's a shame. It would be better if this thing was tiled, like a, you know, like a tessellated. And I realized, of course, it could tessellate if you just go off the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, so you make, you know, have a rule for an edge rule. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's when I thought to myself, well, actually, then you're, you've got equal chance of anything happening because uh, I think, I'm not sure if I saw this at the time or saw it later, but there was a, there's an example where someone makes a hex flower, Cell, which is something like 37 hexes. Mm -hmm. And what he's done in that scenario is he, he, to kind of even out the probability, he made more, um, more outcomes, uh, prob you know, the probable events were more frequent than the improbable events. Okay. So to make up for the probability, he just put more hexes in. Yep. And then it occurred to me, actually, if I use 2d6, I could um, influence the direction. And that would mean that the hex flower itself became stratified in probability because you would be pointing the, um, there would be a tendency to head, for example, downwards. And um, I'm not quite sure where that bit of, that, that final piece of the puzzle came in. But when I had, so, so what, I think it was because I was doing a terrain hex. That's mm -hmm. the first one I did. I put it on G+. Um, and I realized if I used 2D6, I could control the outcome that way. And I, and I almost didn't put it on G+, but then people seemed to like it, which made me start thinking about other ways to do it. But um, mm -hmm. if you just use a normal D6, so just roll 1D6, six faces, you have, a, you have a tendency just to kind of cycle back to the middle hex because you just bounce around. Every direction is just as likely. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. but yes, I, I don't think I ever, ever started with just a simple D6. Um, but that's where I probably, that's where I started from, reading someone else's post on G+. I mean, one of the reasons to have you on is because when, when I hear you talking about the Hex Flowers, whether it's on somebody else's podcast or on, you know, when you've called into mine or on your own things or, or reading your, your, your texts, I really feel like you are sometimes taking the whole the whole way that we think about this aspect of the games in a completely different direction it's kind of you know moving at 90 degrees sideways and and so it kind of makes my brain uh get distorted in in a really nice way and i and i think what's so interesting about it is we're very familiar with um hex-based landscapes let's say so so spatial clearly spatial um layouts but then what you've started to really do is to present that or to use that format for much more abstract things um so, so you know yeah, well, so it's interesting that you 
that you that you talk about you know that you give your example as being um, a, a landscape terrain or sea to begin with um, but then actually you know you've got all of these other processes at work which are much more which are much more abstract so not literally like an area view of some space <laughs> yeah well that's exactly right I mean when I first started doing this I think people thought they were um, they were a map yeah. but they're not a map they are an, it's an engine yeah so yeah uh, they're just a series of results arranged in in a grid-like fashion or in this case a flower so yeah I think right right at the beginning when I was showing people this they were definitely I had to keep saying no it's not a map <laughs> mm -hmm. you know this is uh this is it's basically like a little computer program in many ways mm -hmm. but even even more recently someone yesterday said oh you got 19 hexes why don't you just use 2d10 because 2d10 will give you 19 results mm -hmm. and again this was treating it just like a normal random table where you could get any result um, one after another rather than actually each result being interlinked in space and by rules i suppose mm -hmm. so yes it is completely it is completely abstract mm -hmm. um abstracted which is great and that's what i want to try and uh, funnel our discussion down today so so you very kindly left me a whole series of messages about in response <laughs> to the in response to the hammer uh, horror game ideas um, and you very kindly made a uh, a hex flower which I printed out in color and I've got that right next to me now so I can I can see all of the colors nicely and I've got I've got uh, different colors of 2d6s I've got four possible combination so I'm ready to roll anything in real time if we need to oh, wow okay um, <laughs> um, I mean just perhaps to, to, to update you a little bit on on the hammer the hammer front and anyone who's listening we played our first playtest game on Wednesday I was the GM I ran Zeppelin versus pterodactyls um, which was an unmade hammer production and um, there were you know so many so many interesting things that that came out of it um, which which I, I will I will come on to the the central idea is that on the one hand as you know you've got you've got the actor personas and you've got the character personas and the 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 attempt, the reason for coming up with um, our own rule system is, is to try and work out some way of, of generating that feeling of, of a Hammer film and that experience of being between the, the actor and the character um, without it feeling too restricted. Another really important thing is that one of the players plays the the horror or the villain, um, and you 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 know you've started thinking about that. So I thought maybe maybe we could start by talking about that and how that might work. Um, and you use an example, the example in your in in your messages of 
of Dracula mm -hmm. versus Van Helsing. So I thought, why don't we just use that as our as our conceptual model whilst we talk? Um, and so, in addition to Van Helsing, we could have all of the other characters somewhere around. But the nice thing about Dracula and Van Helsing is, of course, they seem often somehow quite well matched. Um, and and on a collision, okay. of course, shall we say. <coughs> so I guess uh, if we were setting this up, because I know you've got the uh, idea of having five scenes, mm -hmm. and um, I can't, I'm, I'm starting to remember, because I left you a long message about how this hex flower might work, and did you, did you ever use it on your show? I can't remember whether it I, was I, something... I resisted. I think I think I had used. Right. I think I used one, an earlier one, but not the long one. Okay, that's fine. I was just trying to think in terms of context. So, I think the idea is that obviously you've got your five scenes, um, and you want if you're going to use the hex flower. I think the idea is that you you don't want it to get in the way of the RPG because um, mm -hmm. it's not. You don't want to use it like a board game. I don't think because. If you're not careful, it all becomes, you know, facing facing down on, on the idea of this as a board game. And I, I wrote an adventure called Carapace, which has a hex flower similar to this one in, and it was reviewed on Fear of a Black Dragon. And they talked about how they use the hex flower to to help, you know, to introduce a mechanic into the game for navigating a giant ant colony. But there was also still obviously the RPG in going in. So I think the way I would be looking at this is that. Um, you've got all your <clears throat> actors and your personas in, in the game. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just going to focus on the characters, the characters and, um, and the vampire. And so at, at the start of each scene, if you like, uh, all the characters will be in the central hex, hex nine. And that's kind of the starting point. Mm -hmm. So this is not a physical location. This is a sort of a state. What state are they in? And so I suppose if, you, if I mean if you really want to roll it in real time, I guess we could do, um, the, you know, the vampire hunter and uh, I guess it would be good to have two characters and the vampire. Okay, um, so let's go for let's go for Mina Harker. Mina Harker, um, yellow, uh, Van Helsing, blue, and Dracula, red, of course. Yeah. Okay. So let's imagine we've maybe we've had a couple of so so the idea is that. This hex flower will, will help it figure out where it's the end of the scene and which characters uh, have got into trouble by the end of the scene. Because the way I understand you, your, your hammer horror is to go is that um, and at the end of each scene, one of the characters gets into difficulty. One of the like, yeah, one of the characters gets into difficulty, yeah. and, and and it builds to the climatic scene, which is scene five. So one, let's pretend one, I guess it's like change, scene one. One change I made with that is I realised that was just killing off too many people. So I thought that maybe it would be better that act one doesn't see any deaths and it's focused on acts yeah. two and three and possibly act four. But it seemed like why not just have a break before the final act where everything uh, has a big well, So So two to three and then the showdown in the last act. Okay. But it's funny because I listened to your your most recent uh, podcast mm. this morning about your playtest, mm. and I know I'm, I'm I'm segueing away from the hex flower here, but 
it did make me wonder that um, what's I've always thought about this is you've got the actor and the actor characters, and yeah. how do the actors become uh, integral part of the game? Because in in a way, and I, I didn't only heard from the playtest about how it went rather than hearing it, yeah. but it seems to me that it'd be in, interesting to have the the actors have a have a greater part in my mind how I see it because I, I didn't see it but in a sense the actor is almost like a special power for the character for the character so mm -hmm. every every actor has a has a special move whether it's a retake or you know my character would never behave that way or, or some some move they can introduce during the game but what I thought would be interesting is that between the the the, the, the scenes where they're the characters have taken part, you have a scene, you know, like cut to the dressing room, mm -hmm. so a dressing room scene. So the beginning, the, the, uh, the actors can kind of be introducing themselves to each other, and maybe then you have the a middle scene and then a final scene. And, you know, maybe like Risk, they would all have a, um, an agenda mm -hmm. that they're trying to achieve in the space of the actor realm. Mm. Um, but you know, that was just 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 another idea. But um, so what the thing we get the game, so, the, game, the game really made me realise that there's there's really no need to try and police the uh, the, the the interplay between the, the the actors and the characters, the film and the the, the production, if you like, okay. um, which is which kind of leads to complete chaos, but. <laughs> well, but you know, which is good. It's good, and I think there's there's definitely something there. And today I was having a whole load more completely different kinds of thoughts. Um, so they would almost invite a whole nother discussion. So I think there's a lot there. And but I think those are really great ideas that you're suggesting there. How to how to add those those breaks in there? Um, how to get that relationship between the two working? So that's so that's really that's really great, and this resetting that you talk about um, at the end of each act is 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 super, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because to me, I think it seems such a neat idea to have the actors and the players, and therefore you have some way to make sure the 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 actors have a have a role in the game, maybe on a sort of meta level, but something you know, something going on. But you know, I'm sure you'll you'll puzzle through that, but so slightly getting back to the the point you you were saying you know there would be a number of scenes yeah <laughs> uh, and, I, and you know that's i guess it might depend on time and things but the idea of the hex flower hopefully is, is a way to trigger the end of the scene mm. and who is who is um if you like in the frame for the for the climax of that mini scene whether they're it's a you know a fake death or uh or uh Mm -hmm. disappearance or a, a turn code event but mm -hmm. so the idea is you at the beginning of the scene you'd all start in hex nine and then there would be a bit of well you could either roll straight away just to get things going but let's let's assume that you do a bit of acting and then some climactic or critical thing happens and at that stage everyone rolls 2d6 and moves off in a navigation direction yeah. So the idea here is that if you've been um, exposed to horror or danger, you would use, if you like, the threat navigation hex, which is on the right in red. You're moving towards danger. Yeah. So 
let's just pretend that Val Hinting has done something dangerous. Yeah. So he rolls his 2d6. Okay, I've got them here. Just, just one little thing. I was thinking, mm -hmm. my, my one big question was, or my one thought is, basically, they need to be always heading towards danger. And that that is an incentive for getting the, the hammer points, the positive points that they can use. So, um, mm -hmm. so that was so I was thinking with with your hex flower that they they the, the pull always needs to be towards the danger. They shouldn't be able to back <laughs> off. Um, so so let's go with the horror threat, shall we? Okay. Well, I I think that's an interesting point, and let's do that. But what I'm thinking is that at the beginning of the scenes, you're trying your characters are trying not to get in the frame because that's how you uh, that's how the the PC gets killed off rather than gets yeah. to the climatic scene. But towards the end, you're trying to do the opposite because you're trying to meet the vampire in the climatic scene. Yes. Yeah. So, but even so, you know it's, that's the motivation of the the uh, character. If he's a character that seeks danger, then he almost certainly will act in a way which takes him towards the threat. Whereas another character may have a different motivation and be trying to get away. But you know, either if, way, if you're an actor, who wants, if you're an actor who wants a BAFTA, then you know you also seek danger. You do, but presumably you want to be in the final scene, not the person who gets. Uh, um, knocked out near the beginning is the sort of, um, you know, the red coat, as it were, in Star Trek. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this, but you know, that's you know, that's that's just the tension. So yeah, maybe everyone is trying to get to danger, and that simplifies it because then you just use the red, you can use the red hex. But let's assume for now that uh, Val Hinsing is trying to um, go into danger. So he rolls two d six. Yeah. And um, we've got seven here. Okay, so seven is the most probable number. And if you look at the navigation hex, yep. that takes you directly upwards to hex 16. Yeah, he's there. So now he's in a high threat state. Yep. Now, the idea is that, of course, you're doing your role playing. So, you know, they, the, all the characters enter the, enter the castle. And Val Hinsing has rolled a 16, so he's now in a, in a high threat condition. But they may have gone to a dairy, but he might have still been in a high threat situation. You know, and that's where you'd have to improvise to figure out why he's, why he's, why he's in danger in the, in, in the dairy. Yeah. You know, maybe a were-cow or something. <laughs> um, but the second character, I can't yeah. remember who you said, Mia... Mina, Mina, Mina Harker. Mina Harker, sorry. Um, so let's assume, for the sake of arguments, um, she's been told to go help find some help or yep. something. Okay. Or maybe she also enters the castle, but she's hiding or trying to conceal herself. So if she, for example, used, she can either use the threat hex or she could, for example, use the, the one way she's trying to get away. So I don't know which, which, okay. let's assume they've done some role play. What's she yeah, done? Let's do that. Let's, 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 because in, in, in the book and in the films, uh, often Van Helsing, and Mina go to the castle together and he kind of puts her in a circle of fire and then he goes off and does, uh, kills the brides or whatever. So yeah, so let's say that she is protected and she's, she's wanting to stay safe rather than dangerous. Yes. Okay, so she's gonna use the blue. And we've got, we've got six. We've got a six. Okay, 
so again, you've rolled the most probable outcome on the yeah. safe hex. So she would move down to three mm -hmm. on, on my hex, which is a, a low threat level. Now, it's interesting, you see, they both rolled the six, but because you're using a situational navigation hex, they've moved into in opposite directions. Beautiful, yeah. So we've had a prime example. If she'd rolled a 12, well, she would have made a terrible mistake and also ended up in a high threat state. Yeah. So here we go. So they're both, let's just, let's just cheat. Shall we say they're both in 16 because um, that's going to make our life a little easier for the next yeah. step. Yeah. So the next step is to roll for the vampire. Yep. Yeah. So what is the vampire doing? Is he coming out of his lair or is he trying to stay put and hide? So Ooh. again, you have yeah. situational hex. He knows they've entered the castle. What was he, you know, or maybe he's come out to greet them. He's come out, but what's the, what's the threat state? I mean, maybe in this case, it's a pursuit mechanic. So I'd say, what's he, what's he doing? So let's, shall we assume he's coming out to greet yeah. his guests? Okay, yeah. What, what happens? So we so use the blue hex. Sorry, the, yes, absolutely. Using the blue hex, that's okay, yes. So he's a, um, yes, um, he has rolled an 11. Okay, well, this is interesting. So in, in, 19, in the 19 hex, an 11 would take him uh, in the uh, sort of the upper left corner, but there's an, there's an X there, which means oh, yeah. he can't cut, he doesn't move off in that direction. Because normally if you'd exit the hex flower on the edge, you'd come, you'd come back on 15. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in this case, he hasn't moved, so he stays put. Now, this is where, um, you could introduce the idea of points. Mm -hmm. So on your move, so we're going to assume this is a, um, one of your players is playing the vampire. Mm -hmm. Now he's on 11. Now, if he had what, let's say he had two horror points mm -hmm. to spend, he, he can use that. This is where points make it a more, more than just pure fluke. Mm -hmm. in terms of what happens he could use that those horror points to move the direction by one edge for each point okay. so let's say the vampire character has two horror points to spend or points mm -hmm. he could nudge that direction down to go into into 16. yeah so there's a little bit of element who goes first and, and i think maybe arguably the vampire should go first so if he did that he would land on the square and now the vampire's has reached the same state as the um, the characters, and that would be the end of scene in in the way I imagine it. Ah, uh, because because they bec yeah because they they're now sharing the square. Boom, something yeah. something's got to come out of that. Yeah, and that's and and if you imagine you've got six, if you imagine you've got say four four players, they could be they'd be quite scattered on this uh, on this um, hex. So when the vampire can choose to come out to apprehend them, um, it's, he's, he's likely to hit one of them, and they're they're then for in the frame for that scene, whether you know that would be the, you know, not the way I was imagining when I first pitched it. That would be the killing off scene, two, so uh, they would no longer be in, in line for the BAFTA. Yeah, two 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 thoughts two thoughts there. It occurs to me that it might be quite nice to let the horror um, choose when they want to have their turn, if you like. 
so they could choose to to strike out um, to make to make the first move or in this case let van helsing and mina approach the castle and he then you know in turn comes to approach them so he can effectively wait till wait to see what hex they are they they move to and of course this is what's so great about it is that we are talking about this abstract situation and yet we now have a situation where they are in the same hex which triggers the end of the scene so this abstract system does dip into a some kind of more concrete proximity which is uh, which is really interesting one thing i really wanted to try and get the game to do as well this is my second point is to to create incentives for, to split the party up and not to keep them bunched together and actually the party did stay bunched together on wednesday and i don't know if that's kind of habit or the scenario or just how it was um but what i like about with about the hexes is um both of these characters now van helsing and mina being in the same hex now both run the risk um of of injury or death because they're in the same hex um so so spreading themselves out on the one hand increases the number of possible victims if you like the with the variety of yeah of hexes but it it reduces the the impact for the for the protagonists because in this let's say there's the possibility that here dracula can take out both of them in one go I mean that that is definitely true, um, and I think the other the other way, as you were speaking, that it made me think about is, do you get the players to move and then determine the threat level, or <laughs> do you get them to at the pre seat before we start the scene to roll to see where they go, and they have to role play to the direction. So you know, if you roll a threat level well, you have to think of something that's going to take you towards the vampire. Whereas if you roll a safe thing, maybe you're off to do something else. I guess I don't want to, I guess you could think about whether you want to take away autonomy from players. But yeah, I mean... Well, as, as you may know, as you may know I'm, I'm quite an advocate of this AI mechanic mechanism that I, that I was coming up with. That, oh, yes. That gives the players something like that. So I, I see that as a much more nuanced debate when you, when you direct people or constrain people um, so I'm quite open to all of those kinds of things um, I don't know if this is a bit this is a bit premature to, to talk about but I really like the idea that this top hex if we call that the top hex number 19 um, yeah the, 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 the layer of, of the horror um, I like the idea that that remains always um, a uh, an act ender, um, always a threat mm. location, but then also whichever whichever hex the horror is in is also a threat zone. Yeah, um, well, I mean that is thinking about whether you could lay things along the way. So whether the the horror could could make uh, like a leave a residual threat. A lower level, but a residual threat along 
you know along their path and the same potentially for the for the protagonists that they could um in this case let's say they could lay wreaths of garlic or crucifixes in in hex in different hexes which would which would frustrate the movement of of the vampire well this this is it because if you get these the way i the way that i set this up in theory is that in the in the if what i would call lobes uh, hexes 11 12 and 10 and 13 14 15 you can gain or lose points and so for example if you i've been calling them hammer points clue points or intuition but you know maybe you know the idea is that these are things that you can use to deflect the vampire too yeah. so instead of if the vampire's going to land on your square this is why you have to think about the order a little bit you can spend those points to push the vampire uh, away from you into an adjacent square so um but you know you want to use some in in that you know some in fiction narrative so if the vampire is going to land on you and you spend your clue point well what was the clue that led you to realize you learned that the wild herb growing in the garden was actually wild garlic mm -hmm. <laughs> and you as you realized you, you you did something that made the made the vampire steer away or you you covered your traps or something so you know, again, this this idea was a sketch. So I hadn't really, mm. hadn't really thought it through completely, but you can see how that might work. And I quite like this idea about the lair itself being a destination because you could have a game where if someone gets to the lair and the vampire's not in it, mm -hmm. you know, that's quite a powerful move, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can destroy the coffin. Is that is that that an end end triggering event where you know you get to um, so the vampire, in some ways, wants to protect his lair, but also doesn't want, but is also a target. So the PCs are trying to get there, but without getting caught. So one of the one of the other things I thought is that the the protagonists, you know, protagonists will only die at certain points at the end of certain acts. Likewise, yeah. the horror will only die in the final showdown. So if mm -hmm. if if Van Helsing and Mina moved into Hex 19 um, and somehow managed to avoid the inherent threat of that square, even if they did destroy the, the coffins, which would gain them positive points, um, yeah. where Dracula would always have some other coffins hidden away. And that's totally true to the to the, yep. the the source material. So, but but when it comes to Act Five, he's got no more. He's got no more uh, <laughs> hidden coffins. So so it's really interesting thinking of these kind of um, ways that the game itself fudges um, some of the some of the the confrontations or encounters that might be more might seem to be more definitive in other systems. But you see, that's fine, because if that's the end of scene, they've got to the vampire's lair and destroyed his primary coffin, mm. you know, they gain, gain three hammer points for the next scene, but the next scene starts with everyone in the middle again and the vampire back in his lair, but this time it will be the backup lair. I really wanted to, um, to quiz you on um, how it could work, is 
as the players move towards the threat, that also increases the chances of them getting a big hefty bonus. So to, in, to incentivize the, the, the protagonists to go into the, into the fray and not to shy away from it. Yeah. Could you imagine, well, how would that work? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about this because this, you, if you're careful, it turns into a board game and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but whether or not the I mean, role play dictates where you're going, but this is, this is a mechanism for picking out who is under threat, who's been targeted by the vampire and um, who's, who's more safe and whether they get points. So again, yeah, I, was, I was, I was thinking about that before, you know, before we started talking and setting everything up and I was really actually warming to the idea that there's one big hex on the middle of the table. Everyone can see where everyone is. It's in this really abstract way, this proximity to the horror. Um, and I, it's you know because it's an engine, and because of all of the you know because of all that that stuff that you've built into the hex flowers, um, it almost it almost renders the character sheets less significant. I feel mm -hmm. potentially, which so instead of looking at your character sheet, you're looking at the at the hex flower instead of Vocal. yeah and, you know and and. And that is a communal thing, but I, yeah. but I also, but I do think that that wouldn't be a bad thing. So this idea of something that is quite a deep mixture of of board game and role play game, I think could could be yeah. quite nice because I really, I, I think what the what the hex flower really visualizes so nicely is that proximity to the threat. And when we were playing, yeah. just in the role play sense of it. Um, that threat had to be um, just kind of approximated. It had to be qualitatively expressed. Whereas, whereas this is is very clear. It's very clear if you're if you're getting close, um, and not even close in terms of uh, solving it or winning. Just close in terms of being in trouble. See, the way, the way I, you know, thinking about this now, I think the way it could work well, and, you know, this is by no means that it should be done this way, is the first three scenes you're trying, to, the first two scenes or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you are trying not, you're trying to avoid the threat. So that introduces the tension, the vampire's after you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, that, and it's not because it's after you, it's after your character's uh, place in the game so if you get knocked off in the first scene you're a red shirt <laughs> you get knocked off in the second scene actually your character is quite important but if you can get to the final scene without being kind of knocked off and it doesn't have to be knocked off in you know we talk i think we talk i left a message about you know not not necessarily deaths but kind of ways back in course, but it's the yeah, final yeah, scene amazing. yeah it's the final scene where the, t the tables are flipped and the players are trying to catch the vampire so you have tension both ways because if you're if you're kind of trying to get to the lair but not being caught, that is definitely a different game to I'm going to try to meet the vampire head on because that 
in a way takes the some of the tension away because you're trying to get him and he's trying to get you, so it turns into a collusion. But if you're actively trying to, you know, your state level, if you like, not your not your is is trying to avoid being the next one axed rather than say, you know, killed off, then you're you would be trying to flee to safety and the vampires coming after you and okay. your points to avoid it. I've got an idea. I've got an idea here. Um, in hex one, which is opposite, diametrically opposed, I suppose, to square 19, the height of threat, yeah. square one is, is safe haven. Yeah. Okay, here's my thought. There is no safe haven because we're in a horror movie and everything's yeah. about to go, you know, tits up. Um, what you have in square one it are characters who are completely clueless. They, they, you know, they don't know. They've got they. They not only do they have no idea of what the threat is, they have no idea that such a threat really exists. Now, so I let's say just for the sake of argument, I put Mina, I put Mina Harker in hex one at the beginning of of. Of Act One. Now Van Helsing, he's already a vampire specialist, so he so he believes in vampires and he knows about vampires. But let's let's say he so so then he would start in 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 Hex Nine right in the middle. So he believes yep. he knows he's he's on to the he's on to the threat. But let's say that he. He's not yet been alerted to this particular case. So he is knowledgeable, but he's not yet in tune with exactly what's going on. So actually, he's not going to be in, in square nine. He's going to be one step back in, in hex three, just in front of Mina. So he's not clueless. He's knowledgeable, but he's not on the trail. Um, now, at the same time, you've got in two, three, four, which which cover the safe haven. You've also got low threat level, and I think low yeah. threat level is really important to keep. That that you could hide, that you could protect yourself in some way, that you could travel to the opposite side of the of the world, whatever. You could do various things to generate a low threat level, but you would never get it completely gone. Um, so that so putting Van Helsing there, maybe you know, maybe he should be in some other uh, square. But just for the sake of argument, we could we could drop him down there. So we've got completely oblivious players, and those players will become more knowledgeable as it goes on, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what if once you become knowledgeable? And you can start to gain the the clue points. Um, what if what if then square one becomes unavailable to you because you can't go back there? And so <laughs> what if what if the flower almost starts to kind of shrink? Every scene you lose a layer. So, so could be, or, or I mean, it, but it would be more. It might also be dependent on your character, because you could have a character that refuses to believe that the whole, the whole game. In theory, 
Yeah, I mean, it could be a, a sort of an awareness level of the threat. So, I mean, it's interesting because I put everyone in scene nine at, at the beginning of the scene because I was thinking, how long do you want each, you know, if you're going to have five scenes and it becomes more, more difficult, do you want the, the vampire to reach the, the potential actors quickly because otherwise five scenes could take a long time. Yeah. But if you dispensed with necessarily having as many scenes and you just played it as a, a dialogue, you could start with everyone in the bottom. And I'll explain why I set them up in the middle in a, set, in a second. And they can all be gradually trying to get to zone four without getting the vampire c catching them. Mm -hmm. So and again, that turns into a classic chase mechanic. But yeah, it's interesting about this idea of naivety. And I mean, the way I was looking at the experienced players, if you started with the Vampire Slayer, he might start the game automatically with hammer points. Mm. The way I was thinking about hammer points is they could be spent to change your direction, to move you out of the way of danger, or it could be used to move a vamp vampire out, whereas maybe clue and intuition could only be used in certain parts of the hex. Mm. But initially, when I thought of this idea, because obviously, this you know, I read your thing first time around, so mm. I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it. Was I? Because I, I was conscious that you had the actors in the game, mm. and not just, not just the the PCs, mm. the player, the the actor characters. Was that you would have a similar hunt mechanic starting from the bottom, but it would represent what I was calling an existential threat, which was something working to nobble the actor. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. There's like a reverse of, of the vampire, but he's not going for the, the, PC, the, the PCs this time. He's going for the actor. So if the existential threat lands on you, then, you know, the actor has a, has a car crash or something, or he, he, uh, the, the studio drops him, or he's, you know, some, something that actually affects his real life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it sounds like maybe that's a, a layer, it could be a layer too far, or you, you've got this, you have the actors do things between scenes, or... Mm. You know, in the playtest, you found there wasn't necessarily a, a need to um, distinguish so much. It just happened organically. But that's, that's it in some ways why I set the mechanic to start in the middle, the, the PCs to start in the middle, so that you could get to an end of scene quicker and you could have a, a different kind of threat from the bottom. But if you were comfortable with long, potentially longer scenes mm -hmm. and you're working towards the danger, so you're safe, you know, the threat yeah. is not really around, you learn a bit more and then you move up and through. Um, so, you know, in a, in a sense, you've, uh, you could do it that way, which might be more satisfying. I mean, maybe you have an end of scene when you reach a different waypoint. One, one option, of course, is not to have the reset at the end of each act. Yeah, exactly. But, at this, you know, at the same time, there's something really nice about that because it reminds you of how the hex flower works and it, and it gives a a kind of a breather in the game but then i was also thinking maybe the um the protagonists go back to their original positions but the horror remains oh yeah free yeah well that's true that might be more interesting then because then it gives you <laughs> gives you an incentive to go to a different direction so cer certainly with this game carapace when they did a playtest so i'm just slightly moving locations as a bit of a so in Carapace, the setup is that the, the PCs start on the bottom of the hex and they're trying to get to the top, which is the queen ant. So they're trying to navigate and each zone represents increasing levels of threat. So zone one, you get 
certain kind of monsters. Zone two, they're slightly tougher. Zone three, you're getting the sort of the, the big bullies. And then if you get to the, the queen counter, that's the what you're trying to achieve. And then at the same time, um, you're, you've got... Um, Sorry, I think this room is really echoing. I'm just going to slightly move. Sorry about this. Um, but at the same time, you've got an inbuilt pursuit mechanic, which makes it, you know, it was called the, the hive security, which is trying to hunt you. So I know I'm trying to retrofit this slightly to a different scenario. So no. you have to ask, you know, it's whether you start in the middle, yeah. you have the end of scenes, you don't have end of scenes, or you start at the bottom and you, <laughs> you march up. But I think all these things are sort of up for grabs. What, what, what decide what, what the mechanism you're trying to achieve. My question, my question then about carapace there and, and wanting to move up. I, 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 I've only looked at it quickly. I, can you tell me which way the trend goes if you're trying to get to the queen ant? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Let me have a think. <laughs> there is only one nav navigation mechanic because I had. Um, I had only thought of that at that time. Mm -hmm. And the trend is definitely down. Okay. So, um, but you can earn points along the way. No, oh gosh, let me think. Because <laughs> it was actually, Carapace is interesting, because I, well, I think it's interesting. I proposed three different abstracted forms of navigation. Um, one was a, one was a one using the labyrinth move, mm -hmm. uh, which is an interesting mechanic. And the other one was this hex flower. So you know what? I'd, actually, I've got it. I've got it here. Let me have a look. Sorry, it's uh... it's fine. It's fine because because of course, if if the aim is to get from A to B, and the trend is 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 trying to pull you back, that you know that's there's there's an antagonism oh, yes. there. Yeah. So yeah, I only had, uh, the navigation is definitely down, but the idea is that you earn points along the way, which. Uh -huh. um, help you try to steer in the direction you want. So in this case, if you, for example, if you imagine this was trying to navigate a city, or you're trying to get to a get to a destination, if you hired a guide or asked directions, you could get pluses to, on your roles to help you steer towards, towards the goal. So you can counteract the randomness mm -hmm. with, um, mm -hmm. with uh, you know, tactics, essentially. Um, because my, my feeling with this is, is that it's kind of the other way, that the, the, trend, the trend takes you, you know, the tide pushes you, pulls you towards the, the evil threat. Um, but what you want to do is perhaps control, be able to, you know, to try and control that when, when you come into contact. And it might be that, that it's more slippery. The whole thing is slippery rather than... Um, uh, than, than uh, I don't know, friction. What would you, you know, I don't know what to, how to describe that. Resist yeah, so rather than resistant, it's it's slippery, and so the so the protagonist has to be the one who tries to resist. Yeah, I mean that, that's one way to go. So, um, but yeah, this is why I think initially my initial thoughts were. The aim of the game is to make sure your character isn't isn't caught in the beginning scenes because that means you're not you don't get to be the the glory taker at the end and then in the last scene the tensions in reverse where you're all tr trying to capture the vampire sure. the vampire's trying to escape but um I think this is where you need what you know when you design these text slides you've got to have have a, a vision in mind of what you want so you 
to refine this, we now have to decide, is that the goal? We're running for the first two scenes, but it's reversed in the next, or are we always inextricably heading towards the vampire? And that's always the, the game, and he's trying to get you. Or is the vampire trying to escape at the beginning, trying not to be noticed? Well, he's okay. trying to do his evil trade. Two, two things. In our discussion after the game on Wednesday, people were talking about this idea that there could be a flip moment. Um, and I think what you're talking about there would be some kind of flip moment. So I think that could be uh, that could be um, really, really valuable. Um, um, I think I, I don't think it was so much a kind of I don't I don't think the aim was to be kind of competitive about it. And of course, in some ways, the 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 horror is is in line to be the most appealing. It's potentially the star role. So um, maybe there's that, there's a playful antagonism between the drive of the protagonists to stamp out that performance. Um, but I was thinking as well that you could have things like, if you're the first to go, you have more opportunities to roll on the kind of existential event tables you have you know you have more roles on that so you could get through more marriages between production <laughs> right uh, or or yeah it's you know that kind of thing um so that there's a kind of an incentive to 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 go out in a blaze of glory um yeah. um so 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 if you make it if you make it to the end so if you make it to the end of the film, one thing we could say is you're not going to be the star of the next film. So it could be that you that you then um, get some kind of minus points, or that if you're the one who defeated the monster, then you're not the monster next time, or something. I don't. I, that relationship, that relationship between the character persona and the actor persona mm. is going is, you know, is really interesting. And um, how to get those two to speak to each other, I think, mm. is, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, you were talking about having two hexes then in a way. So one for the one for the story. The, the character personas and one for the production, one for the the actor personas. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting how those the two hexes could could offset each other or influence each other. Yeah, because I suppose you know if you're heading towards the vampire, you're more likely to be potentially killed off and as you say that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing <laughs> um, but the same thing if you're running towards the bike you're more likely to um, you know be the, the actor in EastEnders who gets written out and uh, so the actor gets written out but a new a new actor comes in and plays the character so you know you as the as the actor has sort of lost not that you know, I'd, you know in a sense this chasing and not chasing I don't think it has to necessarily be competitive but you know just to make it trying to introduce a tension where you know the object is to you're trying to get away but you know if you get caught then that's fine <laughs> mm. I mean, what we I mean we talk slightly about this idea of does it have to be a death and then do you have a spare character that 
the after plays or is it something else you know could it be could it be a flip you roll on the table what does death mean maybe actually it's a reveal the real threat is is you and the actual vampire was trying to save the world mm -hmm. <laughs> and so then you swap swap roles your suggestions your suggestions for things other than death i think are really really great and i'll and i'll include them somewhere um somewhere around either maybe as a preface to our to our discussion in the episode um because they're great and um, pete jones um of dragons are real he's got this he's been working on this idea that that when the character dies they join the the horror the villain mm -hmm. yeah um, which is which is also nice what happened in the game was that people were much more relaxed about simply not being reintegrated um and it, i you know i i i hope I hope I understand it right that basically they felt involved enough um, and en were enjoying it all enough that they didn't feel written out. Mm -hmm. um, the the other thing to say is that the the idea is that you 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 on the one hand you play a campaign um, and you use your actor personas throughout, but of course in that campaign all of the films will change so you're flipping genres you're flipping roles um, and in this case we're even flipping gms so it's a really nice you know way of having a sense of a campaign having consistent characters not needing a single gm and not being tied to any one setting or world so it's a kind of um uh salad bar mm -hmm. eat, eat as much as you like um kind of thing so that's where then it gets interesting with the existential events and the downtime and and how the actor how the outcome of a film the character persona if you like can shape the uh the the actor persona um in between because this would be yeah it'd be interesting because if you if you know again you had like a a risk card you know the game risk where you've got a specific mission mm. where the actor's trying to achieve something in the actor's trying to achieve something in the movie <laughs> mm. you know like trying to get someone else's agent or steal the other actor's wife or something i don't know but how you work that in but it's the well, idea of some sort of extra agenda well, that almost to me sounds like an agenda that you would carry over the sequence of games. So it's more like a, an actor agenda, um, mm. and and you would then simply use the character persona as a kind of a stepping stone or a means to get that. Yeah, which yeah. which is which is cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, this is where you you know where you need to figure out a mechanic. I mean, the other way, I was just sort of thinking about these threats. So obviously we pitched as a threat. I mean, you need the hex flare to be doing something spatially, otherwise it's, it's just, I mean, it could just be a grid, I suppose, but uh, it seems less satisfying. It doesn't, it's not doing something. But instead of being a threat, yeah. it could be, you know, an ascendancy 
kind of thing. How how is your you know you as an actor? How are your you know, how are you valued? Um, ah, yeah. So it's sort of a threat to the. It's sort of more. Oh, you're you're not very important in this film. You're you're sort of. I'm not trying to think of the right word. Cachet or you know like you know Tom Cruise or whatever. He wants to be always up at the top of the, the pecking order, but maybe he does a couple of bad films or during the during the during the course of the movie it's not going very well so he's getting recast or someone else is brought in to play the role. What so. what one of the things I'm really trying with 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 the rules is that in terms of enjoyment on the part of the players and the GM that any result is just as good as another. Yeah. So so being fired halfway through <laughs> the production is just as brilliant as surviving till the end and uh, you know vanquishing the the horror that you know just just the the there's enough of a frisson of thrill for for any outcome um, and that's and, and and that and that in in I suppose in in my own way, in my own thinking, is, is some kind of comparable flip like the hex flower in terms of how we think about stats and points and 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 all of all of that kind of thing. So this idea of actor ascendancy is really nice. The danger what I wouldn't want is for some players to to think that because they're not ascending, that their character isn't as good, or their, sorry, their actor isn't as good or as interesting. Yeah. And and I don't know how much of that hangs on the type of player that you have or the type of group that you have. Um, but to but go on. Yeah, it strikes me this game is probably not a game that a power gamer is going to want to play. So <laughs> it does sound like a cooperative game anyway. But yeah, I mean, like you say, you almost like want well, Pinewood points if you get you get taken oh, out with. That's so good, know. Pinewood points. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so you know, getting written out by being crushed by a, you know, a, a, a ten foot slime is just as you know gives you this notoriety. Yeah. <laughs> so you're trying to. It doesn't matter how you die. Whether you, you know, if you can get written out three times badly, maybe that's better than one glory move. I don't know. I, I see I mean, you, you know, being being you know dying on set is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, you mean you mean actually the actor? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the actor. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like you know, I I mean, you must you must remember when the crow came out and. Brandon yeah. Lee famously died filming the film. Ooh, right. Um, you know, it's not the same as other people who die in a hotel room. You know, I think he did. He did get actually shot on set, and of course, that is hugely that is hugely tragic. But but mm -hmm. I think it was it was a really um, I think it was a really integral part of, of of the identity of that film at the time and and. The effect it had and I mean even the kind of gothic horror theme the reincarnation thing you know it was all weirdly kind of uh neatly sewed up if you like 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the the Luke Skywalker thing with his. They had to write a new scene because of his scar from the. He had a bike crash, didn't he? Yeah. So they had yeah. to do the Hoff scene, or you know, the bit where Gladiator was it? P Peter Reed. Um, uh, Oliver yeah. Oliver Reed. Absolutely. Oliver Reed. I was thinking of exactly that. Yeah. So you know, you might find ways. So you're trying to get these, you know, Pinewood points, not necessarily wins. So I don't know. It's sort of. I can see where you're going, but yes, this is where you know the writing the game will will be quite interesting, and where and how you how you do it. So, hmm. so to, so so today, one thought I had is that you can, if you've got adventure points, let's say the hammer points in the game in in the story, the film world, the character side, um, and then you've got your pine wood points on the other side, which are the actor points. You can always swap them. Right, you can exchange them whilst the game's going on, but it's always a two to one swap. You, <laughs> you know, you always pay double to get one. So, so if in this example, in our example there, uh, Mina and Van Helsing have, have come up to Castle Dracula and Dracula spent his last two points to not simply be blocked, but to actually come out and face them, he's got no points left. But let's say he's got um, he's got a he's got a good few he's got a handful of pine wood points. He might decide, okay, this is the this is where I spend two of my pine wood points, get one adventure point or one hammer point, hmm. and I and I and I lay it on them. Yeah, well, that that's interesting. In a way, I almost think the better way to go is that at the end of the game, you want the most pine wood points. So dying badly three times, you you go in these pound pinewood points. But if you can win the leads, you know, win win the game, as it were, you know, you're the final scene, you win, you know, win scene. That's where you're the lead actor, and you get five pinewood points for being being the star. Yeah. But you know, so but in Hollywood or wherever it is, how has your position been improved? Has it been improved by being the lead or mm -hmm. by <laughs> essentially dying three times? Um, or having a, a you know existential crisis, you know that um, obviously we we can always think of the ones that involve de dead actors. I'm sure there's probably other things that have happened on set which you know get notoriety. So so I was I was thinking there when you when you do that to see how your standing in the industry is. I was thinking oh a series of tables, um, and that you different outcomes let you roll differently so let's say let's say you're the first person to die you can roll 5d6 um if you're the second person to die you can roll uh uh, uh 3d10 or something something like that so you could you could you could give each 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 actor who along along the way a slightly different configuration and what i and what I thought was quite interesting was that you could you could use the dice in different ways so you could either roll your 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 five d six and take five different d six results or you could add them together or you could add together any kind of uh, combination of them um, and those would be those would be things like um, you 
you you buy a chimpanzee <laughs> or you know so so that there'd be all this kind of stuff and some of them could be more pinewood points some of them could be things like little boons like in your next film you can choose to steal the thunder of mm. uh another player in in your scene um, yeah, I mean, that's a bit like the, the recut. So when you're saying 5d6, what would, what would this be rolling for? Sorry, I didn't, well, I, I, I missed that, a bit. That I hadn't quite worked out. I thought, well, you could have a series of tables. So it could mm -hmm. be your, you know, your d66 type thing. Yeah. Or, or they could be banked up and be bigger numbers. Or you could have different tables um, with with, I don't know, different if you like bigger numbers perhaps so like you say if you if you succeed at the end of the game you get maybe you know like 1d100 so you've got a hundred different possibilities they're quite punchy but you only get one of them that's what comes out that's what everyone remembers is kind of one thing that's happened to you in relation to that production whereas the character who who has um who died first um gets to do butter adverts and <laughs> um buys a chimpanzee and um falls deeply in love you know so there's there's, there's kind of more in you, you know it's it's just again it's this thing of being just as attractive to be the character who dies first as to be the one that um that prevails at the end yeah but they have I guess, a, you know they have a different grain so but then of course we're talking and i'm thinking huh, could there be any way that that in itself could become a hex flower or something like that well um yeah, I mean, this is one one thing I was thinking about was partly, and it was mainly in relation to a character sheet. So obviously here we've got a hex flower which is governing the game, a sort of centrally governed one. Mm. And I'm going to step back and retro-apply it to what you're talking about, but I did think you could have a hex flower which is governing your hammer and, ha hom ha hammer and horror points. So mm -hmm. when you're doing something, you roll to see if your hammer or your horror points are going down. Whereas if you had a hex flower, you could have one which is to do with um, your repute in the industry or your notoriety. And so at the end of the, the film, if you had a campaign, you might be able to roll on that. And if you're <laughs> if you've if you've died, you know, depending on you know rules, you could say, well, there's a propensity for your reputation to increase from this film or for you to decrease from this film. And you roll and maybe fluked it. You roll a 12, even though you've had a bummer, but everyone remembers, you know, like in the Super Bowl, the clapping dolphin or whatever it was. Yeah. It wasn't the, the best. You still fluked the, the memorable moment. Yeah. So you, can, you could have a hex flower. And the other thing I was going to say about hex flowers is you talked about this idea of um, the, the, the different mechanics, the action, reaction, remedy, assess, free choice. <clears throat> yeah. You could easily have a hex flower that governs that state such that you're more likely in a remedy state to have a reaction and, and, and assess next rather than to leap straight to action. So there's a progression there. 
Oh, interesting. That's interesting. But okay, so let's let's say, yeah, if I can if I can manage to visualize this in my mind. Um, so so I've remedied something, so I'm more likely to to act or observe, let's say, next go. Yeah, so if you imagine um, remedy is the special square, sorry, the so if you get the hex row in front of you, if you've got remedy is hex nine. Okay. Then maybe squares five, six, ten, eleven, sixteen are reaction, and the symmetrical version of that below is assess. And then the one higher Ben would be action, and the one lower again would be free choice. So, in fact, I suppose if you if you go to my website and you look for hex flowers in the wild, there's one called yes no. It's kind of a yes no mechanic, and that's a similar idea, but you know, the idea is that, you know, when you get these actions, yes, but at a consequence or no, but with a, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's sort of a, a gradation so that you don't go from state three to strip directly to state one, if that's how you, you do it. Mm -hmm. So there's a sort of a person becoming more action prone or more cautious. And again, depending on maybe their character, yeah. the actor, Maybe they have a greater propensity to do do action type things. Yeah. Whereas they're more cautious, they have a chance to do free choice. And again, if you introduce points, they could spend them to tweak the action. <coughs> but I know you're no, I mean you're saying it doesn't matter. It's not like you're not making that, you know, making action necessarily more uh, interesting than reaction. The only the only issue with this hex flower way of doing that is that it means that there's a gradual transition, which maybe in the game you want people to leap from free choice to reaction straight away, rather than having a, a, a gradual change in the mood. I mean, the, th the thing with the, the free choice is that basically it means <laughs> that you have the free choice of any of the, of the, of the four. So action, reaction, mm. remedy and assess. You know, the free choice basically means that whichever one of those four you felt was the one you really wanted to do you've got a 50 50 percent chance of rolling it mm -hmm. um, yeah um but I mean, the the what 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 so so in some ways you could get what a, you could get rid of you could get rid of free choice um and then you would have four options um i guess what what really interested me there with what you were saying is that, you know, you're almost seeing a character get into certain habits, into a routine that it, that it, it has this tendency to, to remedy, to remedy, to remedy, to remedy. Um, how, if, with, with the hex flowers having a memory, being, you know, a random table with a memory, how, how can you make that memory, how can you extend that memory? Well, um, I mean, if you think about it, you can, you could change the rules, for example, so that you only navigate from your current state if you roll, you know, have a pre-roll, I suppose. So uh -huh. instead of, you know, you can say, you know, I roll D6 and 50% of the time I stay with the, the current mood. Or you wait, wait you, you wait the, because, um, you know, this, this, this sex flower is designed as a propensity which is mainly in one one direction but you could make this a, 
a 2D10 and make more numbers weight towards the bottom. Okay. You don't have to use 2D6 because it's just a bell, you know, well, it's not a bell curve. Someone told me off for calling it a bell curve, but it is a, it's like a bell curve or 3D6 because then you really do kind of get a bell curve. Um, but the reason I, the reason I thought you were going to go the opposite way with that question, how do you break out of the mold? <laughs> and that's where these wild cards come in. When you come off the edge of the X-ray, you will jump yeah. quite, quite a distance. And that means you're not always in a rut. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing you were interesting you were saying about using dice, which I thought maybe what you were going to say, <clears throat> something I learned by chance doing these hex flowers is that um, 2D7 doesn't give the same probability curve as a D6 plus a D8. Yeah. Because the wider the numbers are apart, the more spread it is so when you were talking about using different dice for different mechanics i thought you were maybe going to say you know if you're this one you use 2d6 if you're this one you use a d8 and a d i'm trying to think of the right ratios d2d7 d6d8 d4 d10 anyway you can imagine you can you can split it but that's that's just a that's a separate discussion about well so probability. kind of keeping well i mean that's great you know that's great because that that's that's something I just have a feeling for rather than the maths, if you like. So um, yeah. I'd love to hear about that. So, you know, you've, you've got this with the existential events here, the what's, we've got money, crime, passion, drugs, accident and acts of God. So let's say those are our six fields for the for the the actors outside the film outside yeah. the production so they could be on a hex flower um and you and you roll you roll them to see if okay so let's say oh um i'm gonna have an accident and that takes me towards accident and maybe that means that i become more accident prone you know that's quite interesting but then what if there's a hex flower for accidents so, uh, so, 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 having rolled that, having rolled accident on the on the multi hex flower with all of those options, I now look at the accident hex flower, which has the gradations of accident, um, and and from there you could you could almost have maybe you could break off into more normal tables then, uh, just. Just yeah, you might, you might, but you, the way you said that sort of reminded me of uh, was it was it Top Gun, something like that, where some guy enters a room and he gradually like stubs his toe and then puts his hand on the hot grill and then he runs into a mouse trap and then he falls out the window, sort of escalating um, things that were happening to him. I mean, this is the the thing. I think at some point, if you, I mean, it's not impossible, but I guess you've got to think about. If you've got hex flowers within hex flowers, then you're gonna, you know, have to. Things could get quite turgid in in moving around them, you know. So if you have an accident, you'd have to go to the accident one multiple times before you move down to the the bottom of the, from stubbing your toe to falling out the window. So you might be better off having accident followed by rolling on a normal table because it's not going to be that often. So you might want them to be disparate. I mean, just getting back to the this existential event generator that I just threw out there. So this, this idea was slightly that the bottom hex would have a thing like the vampire that's hunting out the, you know, hunting out the, the token. If it lands on the token, which represents the actor, then the existential event is occurring and you'd roll 2d6. So it would be 
you know, what's happening? A fan, you roll a three and a four, a fan and drugs. So what's happened there? You know, maybe there's a, a fan that's in the dressing room with drugs who's overdosed or something, and that's a scandal. I don't know. Um, but. You know, and that's, that's, really, that's really great because that, I mean, I know you came up with this, you know, like last week or the week before, um, but what came out of the discussion on Wednesday as well was that maybe it might be more fun GM-less. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but, but this idea that actually the director who, who in the concept is, is the GM, instead of having the director as, as the GM, they are just also a kind of player in, in this whole thing. So the director is trying to direct the film and the actor's trying to act in the film. Um, so, so it almost, there's, there's almost this funny thing where it, it this is the chaos element <laughs> in, where, where really you're just trying to get a film done. And, um, and maybe, maybe the game is that you don't really get it all done. It doesn't, it kind of falls apart or, you know, does the act of God have an impact on only one of the actors or also yeah. on the production as a whole? Is that an insurance claim? Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there are all kinds of levels that you could do that. The, the one other thing that I kind of forgot to say um, is what's really clear is that different types of film you know, in terms of genre, monster, character numbers, locations, uh, all of that kind of stuff, that will that will alter how how all of this stuff works. And so I think a big important part is that there's there's this maximum variability uh, which doesn't close it down. So uh, so, so the example of Dracula and Van Van Helsing and Mina Harker, you know, works for that Dracula production, but in another setting, it's it it's it would it would just be completely different. Yeah, I mean, what would you do in Pterodactyls versus Zeppelin? Because uh, obviously, that would be this is what you'd need to. How would you would you would you be able to retrofit this? style onto it i don't know i mean i, I think i think so i mean i basically basically i i'm i'm of the kind of the school of thought where you know everything is basically possible um and and, and all of the fun is to be had in how that would work i mean i kind of i kind of threw a bit of a curveball into it or i or i wanted to or i tried to that it wasn't that mm -hmm. that the that the the characters were potentially thrown into a kind of double peril um and and we didn't in a way we didn't actually get on to that but it was fine how it worked out but but i but but i the idea that i developed i realized had this had these um had some pretty tough decisions for the uh, for the characters to make, or for the act, the actor characters, the players to make mm -hmm. 
in terms of how they would uh, how they would relate to the the horror right. that you know it wasn't it wasn't clear cut like we're just against this person we have to either destroy them or run away from them that there might be situations where they would have to kind of lean on each other a little bit there was some something like that so I, I I think it would all work fine, and of course that you know that's where it's it's about the ingenuity of the um, of the of the of the players and of the and of the GM if you have one. Yeah, well, I mean, just just with the GM, I'm I'm not really super familiar with GMless games. I know there are plenty of them, and I think the thing that I would wonder about is you would. You know, the GM obviously in a normal game understand, you know, the said dungeon, there's these rooms, this is what's happening, that's the main goal, here are the threats. If you don't have a GM, someone has to have an idea of the plot, don't they? Or you'd have to have a plot generator to kind of yeah. try to link things together, because otherwise uh, it, it might just, I don't know, would it might not have that direction. I'm not against it, I'm just saying you'd, that's something you would have to be thought about. Well, and, uh, that was that was kind of what I was working on today, uh, which is quite interesting. And let me just give you one. I literally give you one example because I think it I think it just sends everything off in a in a complete other direction. But let's say we've got a we've got a d six, a six sided dice, and you are now going to roll on the the state of the script, how completed the script is. So if I if I just for fun if I just do that, I've just rolled a four. So six would be completely finished. A four would be all right, but but it's not finished. Um, so so if if in terms of the GMless game, you already have some sense of 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 fixity and movement within the script. And then, okay, another one. Let's say the production design. The production design is actually a five. So visually, it's going to look pretty, um, pretty unified. Mm -hmm. So if one of the other things that you could play was was the uh, the director of photography, or, right, or something like that, you're actually you're you know there. You've got a pretty good. Uh, you're working on a pretty satisfying production. Yeah, and there must be lots of elements like that, like funding level. You know, what's funding? Is it a B film, an A film, blockbuster? Yeah, so, so exactly, I've got budget here. So one to six, the budget's a four. So the script is a four, the budget's a four, and the production design is a five. So, um, yeah. So, so, so I think I think there could be some interesting ways, and and again, these are then the parameters which the hex flowers give, which which uh, these kind of generators would give, and and that would be what everyone is 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 working with. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, just bring it slightly back to the hex flower and this this engine that we were talking about earlier. I think for me, if there's a, a key piece missing here. For you know, obviously this was the first first step. Is I think what we really would need to do is figure out what what the spatial arrangements are doing in this because where it's set it up is is a threat. But I think if you if if 
if I was to put, you know, lean into this, this is where I think would really need to decide what is it doing? Is it is it in in fiction? Is it to do with the you know the film? Is it to do with the um, actors as their you know their cachet or whatever it is, mm-hmm. rather than anything else and that and that sort of thing? And you know these pinewood points and 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 how all that ties together. I think, but at the moment I haven't got a clear idea in my mind why you want to move up and down the hex. I guess at the moment. Yeah, uh, the threat the threat thing does work. It's fine, but yeah. um, you know, that's when you're running away or running to. I mean, one one thing that that clearly came out was that the the hammer points and the horror points didn't really get flowing in the game, and that was partly to do with some bum rolls, but it was also just something to do with the game. So so it. The suggestion really was, and you know, the, I think what needs to happen is those points need to be given away much more freely. Your idea that they could go up and down, they could fluctuate, it's really nice as well because that adds this kind of turbulent risk to the whole thing. But that that element, that that juice needed to needed to flow much more, um, and. Yeah, so so the, so so this idea of, of of how the threat works. I mean, basically, the, the the key idea was that you don't know who's going to die. Some people are going to die, and you don't know who it is. And that's what I wanted the horror points to really do to clearly show that at a certain point, this character is the one who's going to go because they've exposed themselves to uh, the most amount of threat through fumbling through uh, too much inquisition, through carelessness, whatever, through fate, whatever. But they are the they are now the, the character who's marked to go. Yeah. Um, so, so this this grid could be changed into, you know, the top half are plus one horror, plus two horror, plus three horror, and down is plus one hammer, plus two hammer, and then ultimate <laughs> hammer time at the bottom. <laughs> no, okay. Now, but what if what if they are conjoined? What if going into threat also has the potential mm. to reward? Yeah, yeah, true. Because you have to because you have to go into Dracula's lair to destroy the coffins, and and by destroying a coffin, you are definitely improving your 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 hammer points, your cachet of. Of agency in the in the, the story, at a risk, at a risk, and if and if you wanted those to be slightly variable, if if you wanted to put hurdles in the way, what would you suggest from both sides, from the side of the horror and from the from the the, the protagonists as well? Well, again, I think the the way that the best because obviously the only mechanic you really got is is the steering of the direction but points can be used to steer your direction so you can you know, if you spend a point if you roll a if you roll a 12 and you want to get a six you'd have to spend three of your points so you know maybe you can spend hammer points on yourself but horror points on the monster and vice versa uh-huh, uh-huh. See, the horror points I was thinking were, were how you knew, how everyone knew how much in danger you were. 
the hammer right, yeah. the hammer points would be the positive things that you can spend on yourself on your team against the the threat and and that you should be saving them up to the last for the last act where you have the showdown where the the monster who's also collecting some kind of hammer points um is yeah you know, or he's collecting horror points <laughs> and you're collecting hammer points yes but they would be they would be usable in the same the same way you know the the, the more the more sacrificial victims that the horror um has uh the more the more the more power they will have in in the in the last act to face off the 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 the, the protagonists who 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 may or may not have have figured out the secret of of i don't know drawing the curtains back and exposing them uh them to direct sunlight or you know those yeah, and I think that's where you, it's good to have a narrative link to the point spend. So if you're spending your, if you've only just got hammer points as a, you know, one, it depends whether you want to have more than one kind of point. Um, you know, hammer points, I don't know, they, they're just generic possibly, but if you've got clue points or intuition points or whatever they yeah. might be, then you, 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 in the narrative you're spending your intuition, then your intuition was to, I had this feeling that I should draw the curtain and I was right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Or you know, I saw a crack. You know, you spend your clue point. I, you know, I saw a, I saw a, a, a slight flutter, and I realised the window. There must have been a window behind the curtain. Um, mm. I think, I think your 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 point about being clear about exactly how the how the hex needs to function is is really good. And my feeling is, in in trying to keep the the characters and the actors both in play. That that seems to me to suggest two, two hex flowers. Yeah, well, indeed, you could have one representing danger and one representing, you know, uh, the the actor cachet. You know, they could they could be going in different directions, or one for hammer, one for horror. I mean, if you get if you have too many hexes, then it might might get unmanageable. I'm not sure, but if you're only rolling once a scene, you could have three hexes, or a hammer, horror, and cachet. Or of course you could use the hex when the when the film has finished or in between the acts for you know for that for that actor side of things. Yeah. Well, this is what I'd imagine that you know you again you wouldn't want I, I, I would, in a role playing game I would hope that the role playing is the most important thing but when you have that that moment where there's a, a change you know you then go to the hex fair and do a role and see. You know, almost like in role playing, you have combat. There's a moment where something happens, you all stop, you've all diced, and then you start again role playing. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the scene, you could determine if the characters have become more in a more dangerous level, or whether it's their cachet that's changing, um, or whether they, something's happening in their life. Um, some, you know, so it's, but this is where I think a little bit of, uh, you know, this is where, I mean, we're, I know we're brainstorming here, but this is where. I think a little bit of if if you were going to do a hexflower version, yeah. then you need to think about what you want it to do. Yeah. And normally, when I start with a hexflower, I have an, an agenda in mind, mm -hmm. um, very clear one, and then I know what I'm trying to achieve. But again, each character could have a, a hammer and a horror hex on their individual character sheets, and they could track each one individually. Um, so you know, you know, maybe 
you know, you just have that. You don't have a central one. We have a central one, which is, you know, to do with, you know, cachet, and then the other ones do the hammer horror or vice versa. Something you know, a shared one and in, and an individual one. But um, you know, the the thing about hexfire is it's very, very good at doing some things, but you need to refine. I guess you need to think about what you want it to do. What's it tracking? Is it mm-hmm. danger? Is it cachet? <laughs> cachet? Is it <coughs> threat level? I mean, you could just have hammer on one end and horror on the other, and just mm-hmm. you're just measuring. Yeah, each person's relative mm. um, level on it, and you don't have a vampire that moves around. You know, the vampire is just what's happening. You know, then then it frees up frees up the uh, frees up the, the the scope for not worrying about yeah. where the vampire is. But then again, I like the vampires. It's selecting the person that's got the end of scene moment. Yeah, it's it's yeah the stalking the stalking thing is is nice, and then it could become an escape escape thing as well for the for the monster as well i mean you know for me with with role playing with all games this 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 the switching between the the play worlds and and the the mechanisms the the dice rolling the switching between that is is really where the fun is and and what i like about this this system is is you also have that between the character personas and the actor personas so you kind of you jump out of the one into the other and and the and the dice rolling and and all of the tables come into play but they also come into play still within some play space um, rather than being simply the gamers and the play world you know there's this, mm-hmm. there's this intermediary realm just you know by having by having the the actor persona and the, the character yeah. persona at the same time. And I think that's what I find, I think what's most interesting and unique about this idea that you presented is this, you know, the three layers, you know, mm. player, actor, and actor, character. Mm. This is why when I was thinking about it, it'd be really nice to make sure there is some sort of stream or dialogue happening and yeah. how you really achieved that. I mean, did did you find that in your playtest that people were, I know you heard, I said Dave Aldridge was, you know, I want his agent, I want his agent. How much, how did that cross chat in the sort of meta uh, well, happened at the table? Thanks for the, the great question. So so it, it all just flowed in all sorts of ways and, and, it, and it came back to, to, you know, player references uh, about, about Hammer and other, trashy things and then it was and then it was into the 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 actor level and then it was it was back into the the game you know and we talked about the the camera and the editing or um yeah wanting to redo things i mean the, the, at the beginning they all did such a great job of introducing their characters going on to the zeppelin and settling in it was fantastic I think it was some of the best kind of character exposition in a in a game that I've that I've come across. It was it was wonderful and and um, yeah, there was it was it was it was yeah, really really a pleasure to just let them let them do that. Um, another really great scene that uh, I mentioned was was the tarot reading, um, and. 
And so that introduced this other kind of randomizing element, but then was also part of the game. And what was so interesting about the tarot reading was that it was, we, we're all aware that in the film, you probably wouldn't say anything. It would just be there. But then to, to role play the game, it was, it was necessary to, to kind of generate some meanings as the next steps, if you like. So coming in and out of the, the play world into the, the pseudo production world and then back out into the, the, the players world was, was what happened all of the time. And, and that seemed, that seemed to happen quite, quite organically. So, um, right. so I think, I think, it, I think it works. I mean, there were certain things that didn't come through. Um, I think maybe aspects of the, of the actors will, will emerge more as more games are played. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that is interesting how it, it's, you said it just sort of zoomed in and out of those three, those two levels quite naturally. Mm -hmm. So when I guess someone started talking as an actor, then they brought everyone out of the scene with them as it were. And when yeah. they were back in, they were all together. I mean, the other thing I think is, you know, the idea of how long this game is going to take, because if you're intending to have five scenes, then that sounds quite ambitious in that free form state, because you need something that ends it to the next scene, and even that, and that might even have to be quite abrupt. Mm. I wonder if you need three scenes, because I mean, well, a two or three hour game, it's going to be maybe challenging. I'm, I'm not sure. The nice thing about the hex flower is if 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 the if the horror manages to get on the same hex as as characters they might die um that might mean that you kind of you don't need to have the clear act divisions yeah um just rather that 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 close proximity that encounter is 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 enough to create a um a, 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 a you know an exciting moment um and you know and i can't help but imagine that you know all these situations where it seems like it's going to happen it's so close it's so close that something terrible is going to happen and somehow they manage to just squeeze squeeze past it i can see that really working especially you know embodied on the on the hex file on the table yeah so i mean it's an interesting question i mean i certainly wouldn't be remotely offended if you didn't use the hex flower but do you, i mean what's your your vibe on it do you think mm. do you think it's would work in your system do you i mean would you again i'm not i'm yeah. not i make them because i think they're interesting but by no means you know i think that I'm, every game should have them in but you know when when you first got in touch um it was it just became totally clear to me that there was something there that was that was relevant jason connolly of nerds variety nerds rpg variety podcast whew, um he he was really enthusiastic he thought he said take the time take the time sorry to, oh, that's all right take the time to to think about that and to 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 quiz Goblin's henchmen, um, and and also what I think so so enjoyable at this stage is that it's this 
it's this relatively coherent soup of different possibilities. Um, I think I think breaking out of breaking out of the the list format into into a spatialized format is 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 great and, and just trying to get my head around thinking about that I think is is really good but I but I think this feeling of the threat and the feeling of progress um, comes through it really well and and I also I'm I'm kind of a believer that a certain relationship to randomness starts to not be so random and and I think what I like about the, the the hex flowers is it has that it has this it has this kind of precision and the randomness with it and and I can and I there's this and I can see this kind of strategy element. So just for example, there that 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 Dracula can spend those two points to not be stuck and feel cornered, but can actually step out, even though he's just spent all of his points. Um, you know there are ways to skew it. You know the rules that you're talking about. So yes, I I really think there is something there. And my my thoughts today about having this yeah this the central board i th i think it visualizes it really well and of course it and it and like we've been talking about it captures this abstract dimension which can sometimes be just too amorphous too ethereal mm. or too qualitative in in the game when you want it to be a little bit more definite you know how close how close is that threat to us? And is this the moment? Is this the moment to actually confront that threat? Because we've got enough, uh, we've got enough power to do so. Or is this the moment to try and um, break off and just just take a breather? So I think there's. I really, I really do think there's there's a lot there, um, and I think I will be. <laughs> quizzing you more in future as it perhaps progresses or even gets more uh, demented with with terror <laughs> yeah but I, I do like this idea you talk about having a focal you know all the you know freeform rpging and improvising tarot cards and then like oh yeah where are we where i'm near the threat <laughs> yeah and, and i'm near the potential threat when when you're talking about these horror things it 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 doesn't it doesn't have to be a physical thing it could be you know it can be psychic stuff it can be it can be some awful clue that gets you know the clues could also be terrorizing clues um so so yeah. it's it's not simply about oh dracula's just on the other side of the door even though that's the example we've kind of done it could be more like I think Dracula's set us up here. Um, oh, too late. Yeah. So I think there's. I think. I think. Yeah. I. I think it's. I think it's. It's really good fun. What would. What seems to be happening is that is that lots of people have got slightly different ideas for it, and and I, 
I'm, I would love it if we could, if we're able to put it together in such a way that all of those different possibilities still exist and you, that you could kind of pick and choose which elements you might want to integrate or not. To, you know, to tune it, to tune it to the type of uh, film, hammer film, let's say, that you, that you, that you and, you know, that the group that you're in wants to run. So, yeah. so, so giving people hex flowers and tables and uh, combat rules and basically zero combat rules um, all, or is all of interest to me in that way. Yeah, well, you're, you're a good point. You're still playtesting, so it may be, you know, it works and you use it or it doesn't work and you don't use it. I mean, it's interesting about picking and choosing, like, you know, things like AD&D, people, some people use weapon speed, some don't. You know, maybe the hex laugh for some people would be a not a useful route, but for others it might be quite a dominant <laughs> aspect. Absolutely. Like, you know, how regimented you want to be, but... I suppose at some point you've got to get your marker down, I guess, and, and write up something that people can try and, and, and work with, I guess. I tell you what, one final question. One final question. Colin Green has been doing some episodes on die drop tables. Oh, and yeah. He's offered that up to the ludic behemoth for Loco Ludus and, uh, you know, the die drop tables and suggesting that they might be quite good fun as divination uh, mechanisms for hammer horror games or other such type of games. Do you see the possibility that hex flowers could also have a die drop dimension? Hmm. Well, I guess you could, but then they start becoming a random table again rather than a... Um rather than a sort of series of linked events with rules. But um, it's not quite true. In one of my, um, well, it's not quite, yeah, one of my hex flowers, it was a procedural trial. Mm -hmm. So the top hex is innocent and the bottom hex is guilty. Yep. And if, you're, yep. if you are actually innocent, you use the propensity that sends you up. And if you're actually guilty, you use the hex flower that has a propensity to send you towards guilty. So your propensity is to become guilty for guilty, but there's still a chance of you escaping. And you again have points and things. But one of the events is if you went into the middle, uh -huh. you just rolled the d20 and you picked one of the hexes. So that was like a complete randomizer. So in theory, you could have the central square as a, um, if you land, you know, if you navigate back to the central square, you that turns into a, a free form, you know, a completely free move. And you then throw your dice onto or whatever onto the hex flower and wherever it lands is where you. You go. I guess at the beginning of the game, you talked about this. Mm -hmm. You know where you where you start. Well, actually, maybe <laughs> at the yep. beginning of the game, your threat level. You just throw your token, yeah, or you drop them, and then you know because at the beginning of the film, why 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 would you necessarily be in the middle? Maybe you're the you know you're the guy, who, the grave digger in the graveyard, and Dracula's around the corner. So yeah. you know that that might be a good way, a dramatic way to start. You just hold. Your tokens are up. You drop them, and your threat level begins where where you start. Not necessarily everyone fanning out from the middle. Or it, I mean, it could even be something that's slightly removed, where you 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 would you would drop the die, and you see basically how many hammer points you start off with, or 
intuition points or clue points or yeah i don't know who's who's the horror who's the villain or um, and then you know and then when you've marked that down then you start over and keep it clean because of course the uh, maybe a slightly messy thing would be if you're nudging other dice out of the way <laughs> well i was actually that might be fun <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> so, yeah. super yeah robin's henchman that was fantastic. Thank you ever so much. I feel I feel like I understand hex flowers a little bit more. Yeah, well, I, for some some reason I, I find it it hasn't been. I think because there's quite a lot of things that you can do. I, th I think actually because they can do so much, it can be quite difficult to explain it sometimes. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people have preconceptions when they see something like hex flower to think it's oh it works like this, mm. and therefore. You know, oh, why don't you use two D ten because that's nineteen hexes and think well, it doesn't quite work like that. So, you know, and this is just my take on it. I haven't, um, in a way, nearly every idea I've ever had has been built on something I've seen before. So I've just introduced, you know, this asymmetric trend and you know these uh, different rules and different mechanics like the you know situational dependent navigation hex. So all these things are just someone said something i thought you know what, that's a good idea i could use it to do that um so i think in a way I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to try find out about it because um it can be daunting i suppose well you know i think when i first when i first heard about them and saw them i thought oh that's a bit complicated but actually actually they're really not so if if anyone listening is feeling a bit uh, you know, nervous about starting to think about the hex, the hex flowers. They're really not. They're really not that complicated. And 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 as you've been talking about, they really have this super flexibility. Yeah, you just have to decide what you want to do, and then once you know what you want to do, it becomes a lot more evident. And um, just to, just to mention it again, I've got a, on drive through a thing. It's pay what you want, you know. I'm perfectly happy to take nothing for it. But I've recently renamed it the Hex Flower Cookbook. So it's oh. a um, it's a basically a 16 page guide with different examples and the sort of underlying rationale of the different ways to 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 use it. So mm. um, maybe after, if anyone's listened to this and thought. Because you know we had the benefit of a hex flower in front of us. Other people listening are probably imagining it, so they might <laughs> think, "What are we talking about?" Yeah. But you know, you can go off and uh, have a look at that, and um, it's, it's, I hope it's not a terribly dry read. But it's um, just give some examples. Well, they should they should certainly check that out. You've got stuff on YouTube, haven't you? You've got a blog, and yep. you've started your podcast. So there's plenty of stuff for people to be. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the irony about my podcast is I decided to take December off from blogging just to slightly recharge my batteries. So I found a way of cheating by uh, doing a podcast. <laughs> well, it's nice. It's good. It's nice. Thank you, Goblin's Henchman. I look yep. forward to talking to you again when I've got some more big questions for you.